Look, our brains are great at lots of things, but remembering passwords is not one of them, especially not secure passwords. Let's free our brains from being password managers and get something way better. 1Password. One 1Password one keeps everything private and in sync across multiple devices. 1Password can't see the passwords or sensitive information you store in 1Password, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it, and neither can anyone else. I've been using 1Password for about 10 years now, and it's made my life so much easier, especially using it with Touch ID and Face ID. It's the first thing I install on any new phone, computer, or tablet I'm using for myself or my family. And all you have to remember is one strong account password that protects everything else your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. And I love that something I use to save me so many hours, I can't even count them all, is something you can try too. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash beyond for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash beyond. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash beyond. and welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. And this week, I'm really excited to share with you a conversation I had with Dory Clark. Her brand new book, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World, just came out. And in this conversation, we get into the book and talk about bypassing the immediate instant gratification thinking and hopping on the bandwagon of every new thing that comes around, but instead reverse engineering with the help of long-term thinking, a path that isn't rigid and set in stone, but flexible, but still serves us to the ultimate end outcome that achieving goals does for our lives. The book is a great guide with lots of instantly implementable tactics and thought processes that you can go through to become better at long-term thinking. And even in a world where things change quickly in the here and the now, that skill is crucially important. Jump on into this conversation with Dory Clark and you'll see why. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Dory Clark. Dory, welcome to Beyond the To-Do List. Eric, I'm so glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So seriously, somebody that I don't even remember who it was that had reached out and said, hey, you got to look at this. Dory's got this great new book coming out called The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. And I'm like, well, that's right up my alley. And then I think somebody else even, like, I think you had a couple of different people not that you had them do it, but there were people that reached out and I thought, well, it's already like a great cover, a great title and a great concept. So it was a no brainer for me. So I was glad to welcome you to the show. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. I think the, at least the one who told me he was doing it, I think was William Green, the author of Richer, Wiser, Happier, if I remember that correctly. Okay. Yeah. Then definitely him. And I know it was somebody else who literally had just been on the show. And oh, so that's great. Somebody did. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll look in my emails and find it. But yeah, it's fascinating to me because this is one of those things where it's not just about thinking, it's about doing. And it's kind of the tie in between 
you know, productivity, there's a trap, right? Where you can think a lot about a lot of different things and do nothing about them. And sometimes that can be productive because you've got all that thinking out of the way and you decide not to go down certain rabbit trails, right? There's also this thing when it comes to productivity that actual doing of a thing is kind of needed to back up your thoughts, you know, with action to actually, as we hear in productivity all the time, get things done. So, (laughs) but I'm curious, how did you come across this thought process? In other words, what were your experiences or your thought processes that led you to this view? And then we can dive into long-term versus short-term thinking. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it really started with starting my business 15 years ago and realizing very quickly, as as most people who go into business for themselves do, that you have to find a way to distinguish yourself in the marketplace. Like this becomes super urgent. And for some reason, I really, before literally the moment that I started my business, I I had not given this proper thought. And then suddenly it became an emergency. And I began really thinking a lot and thinking hard about what that process might look like. And what I realized was everything took longer and was a lot more frustrating (laughs) than I anticipated it would be. And, you know, eventually I sort of muscled through doing all the things. But about five years ago, I started an online course and community called Recognized Expert, where I was helping other people, other professionals kind of learn to do something similar about how to get their ideas out there, how to be able to build a platform and, and just have their voice heard more so they can make more of an impact. And as people went through the same process, I began to realize it's not just me. I think, you know, for all of us, we think, oh, well, you know, it just could be an exception. But Ultimately, I began to see real patterns in things that people struggled with. And, you know, there's more than 600 people who have gone through the program now. So I got to have a, a real view. And what I realized was so often the impulse is that people want to change strategy too quickly. They get impatient. And it's not necessarily a character defect. It's just that a lot of times we don't even know how long things should take or what we should expect. And so it's like, all right, it's not working. It's not working. And you're looking for something else. And of course, it becomes a little counterproductive because you're switching so rapidly, you don't get to see the results to your point, Eric. And so I wanted to write a book to really create a framework to help people think through, all right, when do you persist? And when do you switch to something else? And how can you be more likely to actually get meaningful things done? Man, being in the social media space for a very long time, we've seen a lot of not only new platforms, some that have come and gone, but also new, let's say, features on existing platforms come and again, some of them go. And it fascinates me to see some of the people that, oh, you know, I'm going to jump on this or I'm, quote, all in. Uh, I'm going all in on this. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, you're go. Do you know what that means? In poker, that means you've pushed all your chips in on this one bet. So you're not literally doing that. You're putting a lot of time and attention into this one new thing to kind of test it out. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. But I would say that you probably are thinking in terms of when it comes to long term thinking, having your overall Somebody I know described it this way, that you want to have a long-term vision. 
you can change your strategy short term, but long term, it's still got to all align with like the ultimate vision in some sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the points that I make in my book, The Long Game, is that sometimes we tend to get paralyzed or we tend, honestly, just to not create meaningful long-term plans because we somehow assume that we have to know exactly how we're going to do it. But the whole point, the liberating thing about a truly long-term goal, I mean, let's call it 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is, is that you absolutely do not have to have any idea how you're going to do it. I mean, it seems ridiculous, right? Like, oh, you're going to map out literally a 10-year plan. I mean, the world could change. I mean, hello, we had pandemics. You know, there's all kinds of things. All you need to know is what is your next step and then just be willing to keep taking next steps. And things, I guarantee, will clarify along the path. But you can set that long-term vision or that long-term intention and just keep moving toward it. You know, if you're in Manhattan where I live and you want to get to New England, I mean, just keep going north. You'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, you take it as you go. We didn't always have GPS that was mapping it out for you. You kind of had to go, okay, I'm going to go this far, and then we'll see if there's any detours, and then we're going to go this far, and so on. Absolutely. Yeah, man. I, and you mentioned the pandemic. I, I don't often like to, I guess I'm over it now. There was, a, <laughs> there was a season there where I was just like, I'm not talking about the pandemic on my show. I want these to be evergreen. But I, I think at this point, the pandemic and referencing it is going to be like referencing 9-11. To a certain extent, it's always going to be there historically yeah. and so it's, on. It's so, a thing. People did yeah. the thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so it doesn't matter. And I think it's almost a place where we can kind of reference that we all went through it and or are going through it. And it's, you know, life lessons. But I think what was very clear to me during the pandemic, especially in the beginning, was that many of us immediately shifted to short term thinking and got into that rut of short-term thinking for the last couple years now because it's all suddenly right in front of us. And what am I going to do right now for right now versus long-term thinking? So let's break this down a little bit. I mean, what are the big major differences for somebody who's not aware of this? What are the symptoms of short-term thinking and what are the benefits of long-term thinking? Yes. Well, I think you're making a really important point, Eric, which I agree with. During the pandemic, we had to flex different muscles, right? And they were valuable muscles. It was like, okay, can you adapt to change? Can you be agile? Can you pivot on a moment's notice? I mean, those are good things for all of us to be able to do. And yet, if that's all we're doing all the time, that is a problem. Because if you are continually reactive, if you are continually thinking short-term, it means, first of all, that someone else is setting the agenda, now, in a literal sense, during the pandemic, it was the pandemics setting the agenda, which, you know, you kind of just have to play it as it lays. But broadly speaking, as we think about life, like email, for instance, right, it would be very easy for most professionals to spend their entire workday answering emails. And while that is productive, quote unquote, in the sense of doing a thing, I think we can probably all agree that it's not ultimately productive because it's not following your agenda, your priorities. It's just doing stuff other people are telling you to or, you know, what they what they're asking. And so ultimately, we need, I believe, to shift to long term thinking because it is about putting a stake in the ground and saying, look, 
I understand that sometimes things are not going to work out the way that I intended or on the timeline that I intended. I understand I might need to change things, but that doesn't mean that I am prohibited from setting my own goals, from setting my own intentions. Otherwise, we're literally a jellyfish in the water, just, you know, the waves washing us up wherever. And I don't think anyone really wants to live their life like that over the long term. We need to set a direction and move in that direction. And that's, I think, the, the fundamental difference about long-term thinking. It's, it's two things. It's number one, identifying where we want to go, even if we recognize that we might not know the path or the path might change. And number two, it is asking ourselves, this is one of the most important questions in strategic thinking, what can I do today that will make tomorrow easier or better? Yes. And I think the thing you heard me describe, a symptom of short-term thinking, as if short-term thinking is a bad thing. And I I don't want to leave people with a bad taste towards short-term thinking, because here's the thing. Short-term thinking means that you are flexible. It means that, yes, you are reacting, but sometimes you need to react instead of respond. Sometimes something immediate happens and you need to do that. What I'm getting at here, and I think what you're ultimately illuminating, is not enough of us are shifting from our constant short-term reactionary thinking to having also long-term thinking in our toolkit. That's exactly right. Yes. And I think one of the major reasons why, and that's why I do a productivity show, is we're all so freaking busy. And (laughs) so you can't ever get out of just doing short-term thinking into also doing long-term thinking if you're always just that busy and always practicing reaction, reactioning. That's not a word. It is now TM. <laughs> yeah, I like it. I like it. T- trademark. But And you refer to taking and or creating white space in our days in order to start to add in long-term thinking. Yes, Yeah, white space is really critical here because ultimately, you know, it's not that it takes some enormous amount of time to do long-term thinking or strategic thinking. It doesn't. We put ourselves at at a disadvantage if we keep pushing it off and say, oh, well, I'll do that when I get the villa in Tuscany for a year. I mean, (laughs) that that might be a while. It's not that it takes huge amounts of time, but it does take some time. And I think we all have experienced for ourselves or we've certainly seen other people where we We are so overstretched that we really barely even have a minute to think. And it becomes almost impossible if you don't have the mental space to just ask yourself basic questions. You know, you're doing all these things. Well, are they the right things to be doing? Is that really what you want to be doing? Or is that the most effective thing to do? And I think that we just need a little bit of a break from the action. Otherwise, we are constantly in heads down mode and we may be optimizing for the wrong thing. Well, I mean, ultimately, is it a matter of, in terms of a quick win here, in terms of white space, is it a matter of just saying, okay, you know what? I may be that busy, but I'm going to head and block out time on my calendar just to let my mind wander and or sit and do a brain dump? Or what would you suggest in terms of getting started? Well, I think there's a few things. I mean, one, certainly we can do that. And I think it it is important. The most critical thing that we have to recognize is no one is going to hand you time to do this. You have to do it yourself and guard it and protect it because every factor in the world is going to be mitigating against you having time for strategic thinking. 
it's a lot easier for the rest of the world if you don't do that. And instead, if it's, you know, oh, good, well, you know, just keep answering my emails faster, Eric, you keep that up. <laughs> like, <laughs> that benefits other people. It doesn't benefit you. So you have to be the person safeguarding that. But also, I, I think in realistic terms, we might say, oh, you know, carve out some time on your calendar. But the truth is, if all of the level of your present obligations persist, then that becomes a little bit of a pipe dream because you're just, you're too busy. Eventually you're, you're hitting a limit with your 168 hours. So I actually have a a whole chapter in the long game where I'm talking about strategies around saying no to things and how to kind of clear out your schedule because a crucial piece of professional development knowledge that is implicit, not explicit. And therefore a lot of people sort of don't think about it or they miss it is that we have to change our time management strategies as we get older and as we progress in our careers. Because the right answer when you are 22 is not the right answer when you're 32 or 42 or 52. When you're 22, the right answer almost always is yes, because you have no connections. Nobody is lining up to talk to you. You don't even necessarily know what you like or what you're good at. And so you need to say yes to lots of things so you can meet people and so you can learn those things. But as you get more experience and as you build up enough stature so that other people are seeking you out, if you keep up with that strategy, it's going to destroy you because you will never be able to accomplish your own agenda. So we need to continually be raising the bar and getting more discriminating about what we're actually saying yes to. So I provide a list of different questions that we can be asking ourselves to really try to evaluate things. I mean, one simple one, which I think a lot of people neglect, I I certainly have done this myself in the past, is what is the total cost of something? And what I mean by this we will often say, oh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll have coffee with you. I mean, yeah, you know, that's only an hour. But then we actually break it down. It's, oh, well, wait, I have to go into the city center. And so that's like 45 minutes on the train. And then there's an hour coffee, but maybe it'll be an hour and 15 because maybe he'll be a little late. Then it's 45 minutes back. And all of a sudden you're, you're spending three hours in your head. It's an hour, but actually there's a three X difference in terms of what the cost to you is. We have to start being very mindful of those things. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash beyond. I think that one of the things that kind of comes up here, you know, in my mind when it comes to short-term versus long-term thinking, I am completely on board with saying no to things. And yes, as we get older, I think as we become more clear on what we want and what we need to do, playing the no card more often as we go definitely becomes a better strategy to go by. But yes, saying yes to things early on to get all those connections and, you know, just opportunities. And the thing is, is that it's not that we have less opportunities later. And in fact, here's even my quarterly or six-month reminder of the words opportunity cost, that when you say no to one thing, you say yes to another thing. Or when you say yes to one thing, it's no to all the other possible options there. Right now, we're recording this in a season where people are starting to become familiar with the phrase, what if, because of Disney Plus and Marvel TV shows and things like that. So I've been starting to use what if. Well, it's like, well, what if, you know, hey, if if this one thing happens right now, then all the other possibilities aren't going to happen. You know, it's like parallel worlds and and all that kind of great sci-fi stuff that I won't go into any further. But it's that kind of a science fiction approach that I take where it's like, okay, I'm saying yes to this one thing, which means means that this one, like in your example, this one coffee and meetup is what's happening at that point in time. So now nothing else can take that time. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And we just need to create a sort of more holistic picture for ourselves. I mean, one of the uh, kind of case studies that I use in the long game is I actually sort of break down in exhaustive detail why I said no to a free Caribbean vacation. And this was something that uh, it happened a few years ago. And I was very conflicted about it because I had this opportunity. A friend reached out to me and she had this organization that was having a conference and they, you know, they said, oh, we want you to be the keynote speaker and it's going to be in Grand Cayman and we'll pay for you to go. And it, a lot of things sounded really appealing about that prospect, as you can imagine. But ultimately, I decided to say no to it. And one of the big reasons was that I looked at my calendar and, you know, less enlightened Dory of the past probably would have said, oh, well, I'm free that week. I could do that and just jumped on it. But what I've learned to do is actually look at the context of my calendar. And of course, this was uh, was pre-COVID, so we were traveling much more, but I was booked the week before traveling in one place. I was booked the week after traveling in another. And so I would have been on the road for three weeks. And even if it was a, you know, kind of a fun thing or quote unquote, a vacation, I knew I'd be working, probably working kind of hard. And I realized just the health and the, the, the well-being cost of me being away for three weeks, having to worry about pet sitters, just the wear and tear of being on the road and not having less access to healthy food, being on airplanes so long. I just realized 
I'm going to be exhausted and I'm not going to enjoy this. And so that was part of the context of why I said no. That's great. Yeah, I always do that even behind the scenes of this podcast. I will go ahead on my scheduling calendar and match it up with what opportunities I'm going to give people to select recording times versus real life. Then my real life calendar, I know, oh, well, that's when fall break is for the kids. So everybody's going to be home. No recording that week. That kind of a thing. That's <laughs> that's short term, long term thinking in, in my mind. <laughs> yes. Short term for me is like, OK, today, right now versus tomorrow or this week, whereas Long-term starts to fit into one month, one quarter, one year, five years, you know, the five-year plan, as people call it, all that, all those kinds of good terms. Yeah, exactly. I mean, long-term can be a nebulous definition. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's, it's not that there's magic numbers attached to it, but ultimately, for me, the way that I think about it is it is about making choices not based on what other people are doing, not based on what we think we should be doing, but instead actually stepping back and making the choices now based on where we want to be in the future and just considering what is right for us, where do we want to go? So just an additional level of strategic overlay. So we're not just deciding because we're making a kind of impulsive choice in the moment. We're deciding because we're really deciding. So here's where I think the disconnect happens for a lot of people. They have either fallen habitually into short-term thinking and just reacting, and maybe they have done long-term thinking in the past, but the disconnect is that thinking in long terms and even creating goals, but acting towards those long-term goals can be an entirely different story. Yeah, I think that's very true, Eric. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's a lot of people who have, you know, ambitions and hopes, but sometimes making it happen can be really challenging. There is a, a very wide gulf in time sometimes between setting the intention and actually having it come to fruition. I mean, if it's a meaningful enough goal, it might take months, it might take years. And oftentimes the problem is we're not getting a lot of positive feedback in that intervening period. You don't really know if you're making progress. And that can be very discomforting. A lot of times people want to give up in those moments. And so I think we have to think about what are the strategies that we can deploy. I mean, one of the stories that I tell in the long game is about this woman named Kim Cantorgiani, who she at the time was a C-suite executive at a nonprofit. She was super busy, you know, super busy at work. She was a mom. She was a wife, you know, had a lot of family responsibilities. And in her case, you know, when you're that busy, something falls through the cracks. And for her, it was her health. She just was not paying the attention to it that she wanted to be. And she was overweight, wanted to lose weight. And she tried a bunch of things, but none of it stuck. And so she decided that she wanted to up the ante on herself. And so she created a poundathon campaign where she got all of her friends to pledge a certain donation for every pound that she lost to the local battered women's shelter. And she said that that created a kind of larger cause and larger purpose. And also, you know, the community support that she she knew that people were counting on her, people were were watching what she was doing, and that that's what it took to actually enable her to take the steps that she knew she wanted to, but had been really difficult for her in the past. And that is another thing that that really comes into play when it comes to long-term thinking. Even if you're walking your own path and it can feel like you're alone, you're not alone. 
and having others that maybe if they have different goals or whatever, but the accountability, the camaraderie, the momentum sharing, if you will, between, you know, mastermind group members and things like that. That's what she seemed to be tapping into. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. I mean, one of my favorite insights is just really most of the good things that I do, most of the positive habits or behaviors that I have in my life are just literally me tricking myself into doing things. <laughs> and I think for all of us, we have to figure out like, okay, what is the magic formula that enables us to trick ourselves? Yeah, to, to trick yourself into getting it done. And even if it's an incremental thing. So that's that's actually, you know, when it comes to, we've talked about habits before on the show. And one of the things that, again, a long-term solidified goal or destination arrival, or if it's changing yourself, it's a it's a habit that you're trying to form. It's not, all right, I've gone all in on, I don't know, eating healthy. It, it, you know, actually, that's one where it actually makes sense. You, you going in all, anyway. <laughs> um, I'm putting the poker chips on kale. Yes, there it is. I, I, I see your kale and I raise you. No, it's this instance that we feel like you know, we go with this t- today's the first day of the rest of my life mentality where we're like, okay, I flipped a switch and now everything's different, but it's not. You start stepping on that path, but it's those actual daily consistent steps, brick by brick of building something that then end up yielding actual results. And the thing is, is a lot of people, again, they're so busy in reactionary short term mode, never getting into thinking long term let alone acting long-term in an incremental way. And actually, even if they then are incrementally taking action towards long-term things, they sometimes feel like they're in a rut and stuck and like, oh, the progress isn't happening quick enough. I better shake things up. I better stop this or start that. Or I want a hit of momentum, right? Yes. Yeah. So. Every, everybody's you know, sort of seeking that. But this is very much a place where I feel like we need to apply the principles that I think most of us understand when it comes to personal finance to our own lives and our own careers. I mean, you know, just about anybody who has followed even in a small way, personal finance understands, you know, we have heard a million times, okay, better to start investing when you're, you know, 25. And even if you're putting like $10 a month in, you know, rather than starting when you're 40 and putting a hundred or a thousand dollars a month in, because the power of compounding, you know, when you do even very small things regularly over time, it builds up, it builds up for money. And the truth is it builds up for all of the things in our lives and our careers. It is the idea of, you know, starting to say, okay, you know what? I'll have one networking coffee per week. It's not overwhelming. You spend an hour a week on networking, but you do that over time and you are building up a massively connected network in your field, whatever your particular goal is. Okay, I'm going to spend one lunch hour a week taking a LinkedIn learning course so I can learn to be a better manager or so I can learn a new coding program or whatever it is. Those small investments are really dramatic when you keep doing them. Yeah. So speaking of career, I know you have something called career waves where there's four different waves. I'd love to go into that because I think that's one of the things that recently for a lot of people, especially because of the pandemic, they've started to shift careers. I mean, this was already happening, but this kind of, you know, sped it up. I'd love for you to unpack what those different waves are. Yeah, absolutely. So part of the inspiration for 
developing the concept around thinking in waves is that oftentimes when I would be working with executive coaching clients or I'd see colleagues around me, people would be frustrated. They'd be like, ah, you know, I'm working so hard, but I've hit a plateau. I'm in a rut. You know, it's not working. And they're just feeling stuck. And if you dig a little bit and you ask some questions, what I often would find is that you know, they were right. They were working really hard. But the problem was they kept trying to do the same thing. And that's a challenge because in our professional lives, the real secret, the real skill is actually understanding that you periodically have to shift what you are doing. You can't get away with doing the same thing over and over and over into infinity. So for career waves, the four waves that I've laid out are learning creating, connecting, and reaping. What I mean by this briefly, you know, obviously when you're starting anything, you're starting a career or you're starting in a new job or a new field, learning really is the first part, right? You're figuring out how does this company work? How does this industry work? You're talking to people, you're gaining subject matter knowledge, you're just soaking it all in. And that's the right starting place. But some people, you know, they just keep doing that that's not the way to succeed. At a certain point, you need to start creating, which is how do you add your own value back into the equation? How do you take what you've learned or your perspective or your skills and actually share it and give it back? Are you speaking up in meetings? Are you mentoring other people? Are you, you know, giving a presentation at a conference? You know, whatever it is, but you need to start contributing to the dialogue. And then connecting is about actually building your relationships. Because eventually, if you want to have a robust career with a lot of opportunities, maybe you want to find out about job openings, or you want to have people advocating for you for promotions, you need people to know you. You need people to know who you are and what you're about and what you can do. So focusing on relationship building is really important. And then finally, we get yay to the fourth stage, which is where all the the pieces are humming. And that's what I call reaping phase. That's where you're actually, you know, in a really nice place. You might want a plateau there. But the truth is, even when you are really successful, it can become hollow after a while to just, you know, talk about, you know, oh, so successful, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, you stagnate even there. And so you need to force yourself to kick back into learning mode. Because we need to continue to be growing. We need to continue to be students. And if we can keep that up, if we can understand what wave we're in and that we do need to shift our approach over time, that's what can keep us fresh and what can keep us vital. See, and I love that there's a difference between being a short-term reactionary person and just deciding to jump on the bandwagon of every new thing or, you know, sit in the email inbox daily, just being, you know, having my schedule dictated by somebody else. Versus long-term thinking that then allows you to make appropriate changes. Either way, we're going to make change. But at least with the long-term thinking and these waves that you're talking about, it's strategic. It's thought out. It's based on experience. It's not based on just gut feeling, though that's not always a bad thing. But going by it all the time and only that can be detrimental. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, It's a balance. For sure. You mentioned networking a little bit in there. I know that you also have three different ways of networking when it comes to short-term, long-term, and then then something you call infinite horizon. Would you mind explaining this? 
Yeah, absolutely. So as you might tell from the fact that I wrote a book called The Long Game, I'm a somewhat biased participant. So I'm going to tell you short-term networking is what I tell people not to do. <laughs> and, uh, that, But that is the kind that actually gets caricatured sometimes, especially for people who don't like networking. This is what they envision. And I want to say, you know what, people, you're right. Don't do it. Short-term networking is what I would define as I need a thing. I'm going to go get a thing. And that's where we start to see some of the bad behavior of people who, you know, they met you last night and then today they're hitting you up for all your connections or, you know, oh, hey, Eric, I see you're connected to so-and-so on LinkedIn. Could you introduce me? And, you know, it's like some totally inappropriate, famous person that a hundred people a day want to meet. And those are the things that essentially get you on somebody's blacklist, right? We never want to be in a position where you're coming to somebody for the first time in a desperate state. Now, certainly if you do need something, if you know, if you lost your job and you need a job or something, you can certainly turn to your friends, you know, to the people who know you and they might choose to reach out to their connections on your behalf. But that's very different than you reaching out cold to somebody. And so short term networking, I think, should be really be discouraged. Long term networking is, I think, a perfectly good and and plausible strategy that lots of people do. And and I would encourage more people to, which is actually thinking not so much about, oh, I need a thing. How do I get a thing? But instead saying, hmm, well, this is an interesting person in my industry. You know, maybe something will come of it someday. You don't know what, you don't know exactly what form, but you just know, okay, this is a relevant person that seems to be doing good stuff. Let's get to know them and see where it goes. And I think that's much more comfortable and uh, a much better long-term way to think about things because you're not after a goal, you're after a relationship. But the part that I like to suggest to people, which I think often gets overlooked, is what I call infinite horizon networking. And that is essentially networking with people that you might think there's no reason to network with <laughs> because I think a problem that a lot of professionals have, you know, if they're in a networking mode, they get so obsessed with the idea of, oh, well, will this be useful? Is this person relevant? That they sometimes put on blinders to everybody else. But the truth is, things change over time, right? You might have built the world's greatest network in New York City, but if you suddenly decide that you want to move to Chicago, You've got nothing if everything has been invested in, oh, well, it needs to be relevant because I'm in New York, right? And similarly, you might at a certain point decide you want to change industries. Well, you know, do you want your entire network to suddenly be irrelevant? It's useful to diversify. And also, frankly, it is powerful because the people who seem irrelevant today might become very relevant in the future. They might teach you something or show you something that puts you in an entirely different trajectory. So those are the ones where, you know, you're an accountant and they're a comedian. You're an astronaut and they're, you know, a dog trainer. Whatever it is, it might seem like it doesn't make sense, but those can actually be some of the most rewarding relationships. Now, that sounds like a really great fiction novel right there. The astronaut and the dog trainer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, I personally, I have, well, I think we all have one, Ben a short-term networker, a long-term networker, and somebody, hopefully, who's moved into Infinite Horizon. I've not only been those people, but I've experienced those people. So I know what you're saying here. Um, I especially 
when the short term people, I, I think in terms of the people that reach out to connect on LinkedIn and they meet enough of the criteria per se that I'm like, oh, yeah, they've got enough mutual connections. I recognize them. I've met them. And then as soon as I accept it, hey, let's do something together. Or in other words, the sales pitch. Yes. And it's just like, oh, come on. Prove me wrong here about you. Come on. So, yeah, it, it's crazy how that works out. But I, I think it's definitely a testament to, again, the strength of long-term thinking to not write people off as irrelevant in the current time frame. Because as I can attest to, there have been people who long term became vital and not just for selfish reasons, you know, I mean, it may be that you will be the one helping them long term down the road, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the great, you know, sort of butterfly effect kind of thing. We just really can't predict it. I mean, in the long game, I tell the story of this guy named uh, Haim Maccabee, who is an entrepreneur in Israel, and he immigrated to Israel from Brazil. And so he wanted to give back. And so he started volunteering at this immigration charity there. And there was a, a staffer that he became friends with because, you know, they would just work on projects together. And eventually, years later, the staffer got a job at a tech accelerator, a very prestigious tech accelerator in Israel. And he remembered Haim and wanted to be helpful. And so he invited Haim to present and, you know, to sort of meet with different international delegations. And as a result of that, Haim became a board member of a startup in Brazil and got all these business opportunities. And this is literally nothing he could have predicted. I mean, this guy was like a random nonprofit staffer that he was buddies with just because they'd set up for events. And over time, it opened up a lot of lucrative business opportunities. Those are the kinds of things we're talking about. For sure. You just never know. And again, we're not saying that long-term thinking and or long-term networking is going to make everything suddenly clear, you know, and that you'll know, like, like you said before, like, it's one thing to have long-term goals and it's another to start walking on that path. But to assume that you know exactly how walking that path is going to go is naive. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. There's, there's way too many variables for us to predict. Yeah. So I want to get people to get the book in their hands. And I would love to have you share a little bit about uh, where people can go to get it as well as find out more about all the work that you're doing. I appreciate it, my man. Thank you. Again, the book is called The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. And it is available in all the bookie places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, indie bookstores, etc. You can order it online. And for folks who are especially interested in thinking through how to be more of a long-term thinker and also have changes in, in their lives, like creating more white space so you can be more effective and more efficient. You can get a free long game strategic thinking self-assessment, and that's available at doryclark.com slash the long game. Awesome. I'm going to make sure to link up to that in the show notes for this episode. So make sure to go there. Yeah, Dory, great talking with you. So excited we got to do this. Thanks for being here. This was awesome. Eric, thank you so much for having me on. Well, that's another episode crossed off your podcast listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation that I had with Dory Clark. I know that I did for sure. And I will be definitely taking another long-term look at this book. And I hope you do as well. You can find the link to grab that book in the show notes for this episode. You can find those at beyondthetodolist.com. And if you found this episode helpful... 
and this conversation something worth sharing, would you do that favor for me and share this episode with somebody you know needs to hear it? Just hit the share button in your podcast player app of choice, wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next episode. Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting, marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.